Hello and welcome to Spirit Pig. This is the show that explores how to live a fulfilled life. I'm Duncan and CJ and today I'm speaking with Marcy Shymoff. Marcy is a number one New York Times best-selling author, a world-renowned transformational teacher and an expert on happiness, success and unconditional love. Her books include the international bestsellers Love for No Reason and Happy for No Reason. Marcy is also the woman's face of the biggest self-help book phenomenon in history as co-author of six books in the Chicken Soup for the Soul series with total book sales of more than 15 million copies worldwide in 33 languages. She is one of the best-selling female non-fiction authors of all time. She's also a featured teacher in the international film and book sensation The Secret and host of the national PBS TV show happy for no reason. Welcome back, Marcy. Thank you. It's so great to be back here with you. I I always love having any conversation with you. (laughs) Now this is, this is episode 100. We've just hit, this is the ton. This is going to be, by the time this gets posted, we've hit the 100. We're triple figures. So this is, this is quite a big moment. This is the, I I mentioned last time how, um, when we were talking earlier, this is the first repeat guest we've had you are my number one repeat guest episode 100 so thank you for being here wow i feel so honored i feel like all the bells and whistles should go off and confetti should be pouring down from the sky i know i want to like congratulations i, I want to take this actually moment just to be for starters like thanking all the amazing guests who have over the last two and a half three years have given up their time so graciously and they spoken to me but also a massive thank you just to everyone who listens in every week and I'm really really hope that you've been learning stuff and it's been I know entertaining inspirational and you've like learned some cool stuff that's hopefully helped you in your life so um yeah so thank you Marcy and thank you for all the listeners for for tuning in it's it's, it's a it's a big day well and thank you for this great work that you're doing and all that you're bringing out to the world because it's a great great gift you are uh, you know, I just love talking with you. And I know that you you get things out of each of us, anybody that you speak to um, that, that that we don't say in other interviews. So um, we're just really, really, I'm really happy to be with you and, and happy for what you're doing for the world. Oh, thank you so much. Now, talking about those stories and stuff like that, like I read and um, well, for starters, like when we're children, like we, we're realizing more and more and more just how we are just like sponges, you know, ideas or things we interpret as children can stay with us and often be like these major driving forces throughout our lives. And one of your core beliefs was shaped from a story that your mother would like innocently tell. Would you, would you mind sharing that? Wow. Yeah. You're going right for the jugular on that one. That's good. So um, I came out of the womb with existential angst. I was an unhappy kid. And I had great parents, I had great life, and it was always a puzzle to me until I realized and I started studying deep-seated beliefs, you know, the beliefs of I can't do it or I'm not good enough or I'm not loved or I'm not wanted. And I always knew that I was loved. But when I, when I was born, when um, my, I have a brother who's 10 years older than I am and a sister who's 12 years older than I am, and they were always at each other's throats. And my mother, a couple of years before she got pregnant with me, she used to say, if I ever got pregnant again, I would drive off into the ocean. She lived just a few blocks from the ocean in San Francisco. And and she was just, and I think she really meant it. I mean, she wasn't going to drive off into the ocean, but she did not want to have another child. Well, a couple of years later, 
bam, she's pregnant. And she decides not to drive off into the ocean. And she has me. Well, she told this story all the time. And the way she would tell the story is she would end it with, honey, you may not have been wanted, but you were always loved. And she thought it was a great story to tell because here she had me and she, she would always say, I'm so glad I didn't drive off into the ocean and then end with the line, you, weren't, you may not have been wanted, but you were always loved. And, you know, I always went along and thought, oh, how cool, you know, she ended up having me and we're both, we're all here. And, but as I got more into understanding deep, deep embedded patterns, I realized that I had this pattern of I'm not wanted. And so what it, that caused me to do throughout my life was to overgive, to try to always, you know, impress and try to really do whatever I could do in order to try to be wanted. And I had lots of relationships with men where, you know, I knew they really loved me, but I didn't know that they really wanted to be with me. So there was a lot of work that had to be done to kind of shift those patterns. and. Um, yeah, so I'm going to turn the tables on you. What's one of yours? What's, oh, wow. God, what is one of my core, core beliefs? You put me on the spot there. Um, what is one of my core beliefs? I have no idea. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think. Um, I guess, I, I don't know if this is a core belief, but I am, I'm, I guess I'm, I, I actually realised this, actually. I Maybe, I think I'm getting a bit better. But I'm maybe a bit of a commitment phobe, perhaps. I don't know. I don't know what that would have potentially been spurned from. Um, you know what? I'm when when I when I commit, I'm I'm all in. But because I but I'm I'm very cautious and I'm maybe a bit guarded. Where I think in terms of friendships, in terms of meeting people, I'm very open. I'm everyone, you know, arms open, very like friends. But maybe in terms of maybe anything like romantic. I've I've maybe got the walls up for quite a while and it takes three, four, five, six months to maybe let someone in, you know, I, I, you can, you can date, you can, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm going through the process, you know, of, you know, going, you know, you, you, you have a date and you're, you're, you're seeing someone, but I don't think I maybe let people in really close until I'm super, super sure of them. I don't know if that, I don't know where that's from. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Maybe, it's a bit self-preservation, but maybe I'd I would like to perhaps learn my guard a little bit earlier. I don't know, maybe maybe and nice, yeah, great, yeah. Thank not, you. Not sure what the driving force behind that is, but yeah, maybe yeah. I, I I should get Freudian on it. Let's let's work out what's what's going on behind the scenes. But yeah, I don't know. I want to ask one more thing about okay. um just before I forget about uh just tying in that story above your mother earlier. So like. That was an example where your mother you know, adored you and still she accidentally gave you this belief. So I guess my question is, what can parents, school teachers do to maybe minimize this risk and nurture healthy core beliefs in children? Because, yes, yeah, that, that's it. Really. That's what was. Fantastic question. And I have two answers. Um, I deeply believe that the best thing that any adult parent, teacher, any 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 adult can do to help nurture a healthy child is to work on themselves first, is to do all of this that, that I, that you and I talk about and, and um, to really, because these things are so deep 
and they're so subconscious that um, unless we do our own work, we're always passing on to others um, who we are and what we're modeling. Now, I think there are certainly principles that we can um, that we can learn. I mean, it's simple things like, uh, you know, appreciating what people are doing right, whether you're a boss or whether you're a parent, when you appreciate what, what someone is doing well, they will do more of that rather than criticizing them, criticizing, criticizing them for what's, what they're doing wrong. That, that's true for ourselves too. When we want to get, when we want to change our habits, we do better by acknowledging the small steps that we're making than by beating ourselves up for not doing things right. Whether it's you want to lose weight or, you know, you want to lose weight, Acknowledge yourself for the days that you did well rather than beat yourself up for the days that you didn't do well. What we appreciate appreciates when we are appreciating the, you know, what you put your attention on grows stronger. So that's just a simple principle for anyone to use in their life. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I, I totally, I totally yeah, resonate with that and totally want to say that again. Just uh, even if it's something as simple as you've just got like just a journal and then at the end of every day, you just write just three things that were good about the day, three like mini successes. Like say you're trying to lose weight. Today I put on my trainers. I took them off straight afterwards, but I put on my sneakers. It's like, cool, yeah, let's write that down. Because we, we, we so naturally look at what's not working in our life and actually let's just almost keep those little, those little mini milestones and then it kind of builds that momentum and actually give yourself a pat on the back because you know you, you're, we're, we're doing amazing stuff every day and I think we probably don't, acknowledge it enough so um yeah be your own be your own cheerleader let me let me give a little science behind that if i can okay. is that all right perfect yeah absolutely so we have we the average person has sixty thousand thoughts a day and for the average person 80 percent of those are negative the science calls it scientists call this the negativity bias we inherited we inherited from our cavemen ancestors and so, first of all, don't beat yourself up for having it because it's a natural thing. And these are the, these are neural pathways that we that are in the brain that are you know deep grooves in the brain. And what the science one friend of mine, Rick Hansen, calls it the the Velcro Teflon syndrome. Our minds are like Velcro for the negative; they just stick to us. They're like Teflon for the positive; the positives just slide off of us. What happens is happier people reverse that tendency. They pay attention. So there's three things to do. Number one, you've got to be on the lookout for the positive. Actually, look out for it. One of the women I interviewed says she pretends she's the Academy Awards Committee. And every day she's looking out to give five Academy Awards. So she sees a little cute, white, fluffy dog walking in the park. And she goes, oh, that dog gets the cutest dog of the day award. So you're just training your mind to be looking out for what's good. The second thing is you've got to savor it for at least 20 seconds for the good to start creating new neural pathways in the brain. And that's your process of, of writing it down. That's causing you to focus on it for more than just a couple seconds. And then the third thing the scientists say is to go for the three to one ratio, three positives to one negative. Now, that's not so easy to do, but that that really reverses this old habit pattern. And over time, you'll notice a difference. In fact, um, there's a great happiness researcher, Richard Edmonds, Emmons from um, uh, UC Davis, University of California, Davis. And he's done the research on, on these, this gratitude practice that you're talking about. At the end of the day, write down three to five things during the day that you were grateful for. And within one month, it's shown to raise your happiness level. So 
It's so simple. I love it when it's it's something simple. as simple as that, you know, a piece of paper and a pen. Like, we can all do that. Like, there's, we don't have to have some PhD for that. Like, these are all things which we can all be doing today, which is which is great. <laughs> so when and I we- just realized, I just realized... His name is Robert Emmons, not Richard. So. Robert Emmons. But I'm not going to beat myself up for that mistake. Yeah. Oh, damn it. Come I'm going to congratulate myself for remembering it later. <laughs> <laughs> so when we, on the flip side, when we don't feel worthy of living an amazing life, when we don't feel worthy of receiving love, a promotion, happiness, or whatever it is we want, we are, I guess, we're, we're effectively, we're energetically pushing these things away, aren't we? Absolutely. You know, one of the things that I found about... Um, what I call, as I say, living in the miracle zone is probably one of the foundations of it is self-love. When we don't feel worthy of, of receiving amazing things in our lives, we push them away. and We push them away, again, very unconsciously. I, I'm going to give you all, everyone who's listening, I'm going to give you a little quiz. And I want you to see um, just how you answer these questions. So question number one. Do you feel uncomfortable when you get compliments? So if someone compliments you, do you tend to deflect the compliment? You know, they say, oh, you did a great job. And you say, oh, it was nothing or I got a lot of help. Um, Question number two, do you have a hard time receiving gifts? Somebody gives you a gift. Do you feel like, "Uh uh-oh, you should have given them, you need to go and get them something back right away? Number three. Do you have a hard time asking for help? Do you think you should be able to do it yourself and you don't want to go out and get help? Number four, do you have a hard time allowing people to do things for you? So somebody opens the door for you. Somebody, um, you know, uh, offers help to you without you even asking. Do you have a hard time receiving? So if you answered yes to any of those, you probably are in the category of a, of a difficult, of a hard receiver. You might like giving. Well, that's another one. You know, if somebody gives to you, do you feel like you need to give them back so much in return? So what you want to do is, is if that's the case, you want to just take a look at, you've probably heard the expression that it, um, nobody can give to you uh, uh, unless you're ready to receive as nobody can give you more than what you're willing to give to yourself. The universe is the same way. The universe is not going to give to you unless you are willing to receive it. So when I, when people say, well, I I want it, you know, I want a better job. I want to make more money. I want to find my life partner. I, I really wonder, are you, how good are you at receiving? And so what I want you to do is I want you to just notice over the next few days, kind of play the how do I push it away game. Notice when you're pushing away things coming to you and just start becoming aware of that. Because as we push away little things, um, we're, it's just symbolic of our pushing away big things. So if you want to have the, the big inflow of abundance, the big inflow of love in your life, notice how you're pushing away the little things. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you can't... You know, I'll tell a little story, quick story of um, Marianne Williamson. Are you familiar with Marianne Williamson? Yeah, absolutely. So Marianne Williamson has written a number of books. Uh, Return to Love was one of her big books. A Woman's Worth, by the way, if you're a woman listening to this and self-love, you know, is one of your issues. 
The book, A Woman's Worth, is a fantastic book. Um, and she, I was in a seminar of hers, gosh, almost 20, it probably was 20 years ago. And she was saying that if you make a lot of money and you haven't changed your consciousness to feel worthy of receiving that level of money, to feel, you know, okay at that level of, of, of money, you will inevitably do something to push it away, to lose it. And I thought to myself, that would never happen to me, never. Sure enough, in the next year, uh, my first Chicken Soup for the Soul book came out and more money started flowing into my life than I had ever imagined, really. And sure enough, I had, uh, sure enough, I started losing it. I started making bad investments and losing my money. And I, fortunately, I caught it before it was, uh, before I'd lost it all. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's what Marianne talked about. I've got to raise my own level of consciousness to embrace this bigger level of, of money, of, of receiving. And so I, I did the work and I opened up to uh, receiving. And, and uh, so it's really not always just about what we're, whether we're doing things right to to create greater success in our lives a lot of it is about whether we have the self-worth the self-love to open up to receiving because uh, one thing we got to be is it maybe cautious about is because there's now obviously there's so much research and studies confirming the huge power of visualization but something we need to be cautious of is worry because when we're worrying it's almost the process of actively visualizing and attracting, but what we don't want, isn't it? Uh, this exactly it. I love that phrase that worry is actively, actively visualizing, imagining what you don't want to have happen. And I was having a wonderful talk the other day with Gene Houston, the great, amazing um, thinker of our time, Gene Houston. And she was, um, she was recounting to me uh, about Einstein. Einstein, one of the greatest thinkers of our time. And Einstein said, imagination is the preview of life's coming attractions that we create from our imagination. Our imagination is just projecting into the world what's going to happen in our future. And as you said, worry is the active imagination of what we don't want to have happen. So what we've got to do is we've got to shift our our worry into the active imagination of what we do want to have happen. And so Jean was recounting to me this story that she met Einstein when wow. she was in the fifth grade. <laughs> and um, she was in New York. She was growing. She grew up in New York. And she, re she recounted to me that one of the kids in the class said to Einstein, what do I do to be as smart as you are? And Einstein said, you read fairy tales. Meaning you go into the space of imagination. You, you live in a realm of imagination, of creating. And, um, and so another kid said, well, what do I do to be smarter than you? <laughs> and Einstein said, you read more fairy tales. And, and what, what he used to do was he would imagine himself floating on a light beam. And apparently that, that active imagination is what allowed him to come up with his brilliant formulas, his brilliant discoveries. 
So how many of us really spend much time in our active imagination of what we do want to have happen? And I know that this all sounds a little airy-fairy, but really there's research on this. You look at any Olympic athlete. Any Olympic athlete spends 50% of their time really practicing their art, really practicing. But they spend a good amount of their time also actively visualizing what they want their outcome to be. There's also been research done in medicine on the power of visualizing to uh, to create uh, more health. So it's it's not so airy-fairy. I, I, no, I, I love that. When you were saying that original story, that was, well, I've never heard that Einstein story. I love it. It's, that's what, what, a, what a great answer. And it made me think about almost that like, when we take when we take things too seriously when you know work and bills and email all this is very serious but getting back to almost that childlike play and imagination when you're out you know in the woods and you're like you see a stick and then you're like you're a pirate and you know getting into that that play state when it is yeah i just think we 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 need to sort of not lose that playful childlike enthusiasm where we where we're visualizing where we are living in these amazing sort of worlds because yeah, I just think, I don't know, I'm not not sure exactly why, but that's what suddenly just jumped into my head when you were telling well, me that story. I, you know, I think that every great, um, every great idea that's ever come to me has come to me when I was in a state of relaxation and openness and play. You know, I, I've always, um, years ago, I learned a little formula for creation, for manifesting. This was well before the law of attraction and the secret, before I knew about any of that. And the um, formula for creating that I learned was three steps. I love them because they rhyme. And so it made it simple. This was when I was in my twenties and the three steps to creating anything is number one, intention, number two, attention, number three, no tension. So intention, be clear about what you want. Now everybody talks about the power of intention, attention, put your life force and energy behind it. Put your, your thoughts, your words, your feelings, your actions behind that. But no tension. That's where a lot of us have a hard time. No tension. Let go. Surrender. Go into a state of ease. Einstein said that all of his great discoveries came when he was out for a walk or when he was doing the dishes, when his attention was in a state that was relaxed. Now, first, you have to know clearly what is it, what is your intention? You know, he was clear about what his intention was to to understand the workings of the universe. He put his attention into that. He he definitely did did his work. But then he lived a lot of his life in that state of no tension and imagination and play. And that's when greatness comes out. There's I heard you were talking about um, I heard a, a few weeks ago um, when I was reading one of your latest books. And I'd love you to maybe explain this means some absolutely fantastic scientific study conducted by Lynn McTaggart called the intention experiment. Would you mind sharing that? Yeah. So Lynn is extraordinary. She wrote a book called the field. She wrote a book called the intention experiment. She wrote also a book called the bond and in her research, um, what she's found is that a, a person or a group of people putting an intention on something at, even at a distance, not only can create remarkable changes, and these are scientifically verified changes, you know, a group of people in London putting attention on changes in, in, uh, in a plant in, in Germany 
uh, creates changes in 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 the results in the in the outcome that they're intending, but also that the intender themselves has changes. So the changes are not only in what you're intending, but it changes you as the intender. And we've actually used some of that research in this in this uh, program that I that I lead called Your Year of Miracles. And it's a program. We have a two thousand people um, from around the world. Who are who who are spending a year on creating some manifesting their miracle intentions at the beginning of the year? They they we walk them through a process where they come up with three miracle intentions. What is it that they want to manifest in the year? And we use the entire group, this group of two thousand people, to put their intention on other people's intentions. And we've had 94% success rate in people's miracle intentions happening just by uh, a group collectively putting attention on something. You know, there's enormous power in our collective intention. Um, there was a, a lot of research done in the 90s on something called the 1% effect. And I was actually part of that research where a group of people would gather in a particular city and meditate together. And then they would measure the crime rate, the accident rate, the sickness rate um, in that city, the effect of that group of people meditating together. And Washington, D.C. was actually one of the cities, I think it was in 1993, where the crime rate was terrible in Washington, D.C. And, um, and so a group of people, I think there were 3,000 of us, we gathered to meditate at the same time for, I think it was for a couple of weeks. And there were there was a lot of scientific study on what happened from that group meditating and the accident rates went down, the sickness rate went down, the hospitalization rate went down and the crime rate went down during that time period. And that that study has been duplicated a number of times. So there's tremendous impact on groups of people getting together. And so how, what does this mean for your own personal life? I highly recommend that you gather a group of people, even five, six, seven people in a mastermind or a heart group, we call them miracle groups, to you get clear on what are some of your intentions and you have the people in that group also put their attention on your intentions. You, you, you meet up once a week or once every two weeks or once a month, but I prefer at least once every two weeks. And you share what your miracle intentions are. And you each, every day, you write down other people's miracle intentions. And every morning you wake up and you put your attention on the other five or six people's miracle intentions. And watch what happens in your life. Just use your own life as an experiment. See what happens. We're talking about that. Like, then the most of us are not setting our intentions in the right way, are we? Like, 92% of people fail to achieve their New Year's resolutions. Like, so I guess, how do we become one of those 8% that succeeds? Like... I know there's a difference between soul intention, ego intention. So maybe yes, to yes, yes, yes. So it's true. People set their New Year's intention, New Year's resolutions or intentions, for example. By the end of January, only fifty percent of the people are still at it, and by the end of the year, only eight percent of people have have realized their 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 resolutions or intentions. And primarily, it's because many of us are setting them wrong. We're setting what I call ego intentions. Ego or intentions are the things that we want to have happen because they'll make us feel better from our ego. 
And, and usually they make us feel kind of contracted when we think about them. Soul intentions are intentions that are coming from our soul, our, when they're aligned with what our purpose is. Now, there are very subtle distinctions between this, and I'm going to give you a simple example. Let's say you are setting an intention, I want to lose 20 pounds. Now, how do you know whether it's a soul-based or an ego-based intention? How do you feel when you set that intention? When it's an ego-based intention, you're going to most likely feel contracted. When it's a soul-based intention, you're going to most likely feel expanded. So when you say, I'm going to lose, I, I want to lose 20 pounds, generally people feel contracted. Now, I like to demonstrate things, and since we're on video, it's easy we can demonstrate things. I want everybody to do this demonstration with me. When you're contracted, it's hard to feel good, and I'm going to prove this to you. See, I want you all right now to contract up, get very tight into a tight little ball. And then on the count of three, I want you to say, I feel happy. Ready? <laughs> One, two, three. I, I feel happy. happy. Okay. <laughs> sit up. You can sit up now. Did you feel happy? No, not at all. <laughs> no. I was saying the words, but there was no emotion yeah, or anything you, behind it. You felt the words. You said the words, but you, you energetically felt contracted. There are only two energies in the universe. There's the energy of contraction, and there's the energy of expansion. So now I want you to expand like that. Put out your arms, and on the count of three, I'm going to have you say, "I feel depressed." Ready? One, <laughs> two, three. I, I feel, feel depressed. <laughs> Do you feel depressed? No, not at all. No, you feel good, right? Yeah, I feel great. Here's your energy is expanded. Does this mean <laughs> I want you to walk around like this all day long? No, they'll lock you up. <laughs> what it does mean is I want you to do those things that are in alignment with your soul. Because when you're in alignment with your soul, you will feel expanded. The soul is the energy of love. It's the energy of, of growth and expansion. The ego is the energy of fear and contraction. It's the energy of I should. And so I have to lose 20 pounds. I want to lose 20 pounds is coming from an ego place of I don't feel good enough about myself right now. I don't want to be judged. I don't like myself the way I am. I want you to shift that into what your soul would say about the same goal. Your soul's energy around that might be, I'm vibrant and healthy in a body that reflects my inner radiance. Now notice that that's kind of the same intention. I'm vital and healthy in a body that reflects my inner radiance. But it's coming from a different place. It's coming from a place of alignment with my soul. I want my, my soul wants to have a body that feels aligned with this, with, with, with the intention of, of my inner beauty. So with that intention, you're probably much more likely to lose the weight that you want to lose. I, I'm going to start rethinking all my goals and yeah, just to reword them because it's, it's so obvious. It's black or white. You can, you can tell when you did that explanation, you can tell straight away. It's so obvious whether it's, you know, coming from an ego, a lack a constricted kind of thing, or whether this is something which feels exciting and like, you know, energizing. So it's, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah. it's obvious. 
Uh, let me give you another example, um, uh, because in an area that's very important to people I know, um, is the area of money. One of my students came to, to me one day, and uh, her name is Colleen. She's a psychiatrist. And she came to me and she said, I want to make X amount of dollars more. And she had been trying that for a long time. She'd wanted to increase her income for quite a while. And it wasn't happening. She was starting to feel really bad. And I said, well, Colleen, why is it that you want to make more money? She said, because I have inside of me this, I, I want to write this book. I know this is my sole calling is to write and speak and get this information out there. I said, wow, you're, you're on fire for that. She said, yeah. I said, good. So let's rewrite the intention. And the intention is that I have the the financial freedom to write and and to write this book and to get my teachings out in the world. So she shifted to that intention. Within two weeks, an old uh, colleague of hers who she hadn't heard from in years called her out of the blue and said, Colleen, I'm opening up a new psychiatric clinic. I want you to come work for me. And here's how much I will pay you hourly. It was twice what she was currently making. She took the new job, but she only took it for three days a week instead of five days a week. She was making more money than she was making before. And she had the other two days a week free to do her writing and speaking, which is now what she's doing. The book is coming out and it's and it came from the sole intention. What it does is it frees us up energetically. So great. I'm. <laughs> No, no more words for that. Um, now, I, I always finish off all the chats and we I, I normally will ask, you know, a couple of questions. But last time I've already I've already I've already thrown them at you. So can I can I put you on the spot with just with a totally different one? Um, our mission, we've talked about this before, but the Spirit Pig mission, our mission is seven billion people living a fulfilled life. You know, I want to help create a world where happiness and fulfillment is like the default mode and it's the norm rather than the exception if you had unlimited resources unlimited influence how would you set about achieving that where would you be focusing your energy well kind of where i am i mean I, i'll tell you my my take on that how would i focus my resources so i mentioned the thing about miracles living a miraculous life. And I was waking up every morning feeling like, can I live a miraculous life? And that's my vision of heaven on earth. Everybody feeling like they're living a miraculous life. And I looked up the definition of a miracle and a miracle is an unexpected and welcome event that can't necessarily be explained by science, but that's an act of, of divine grace. And so we can't create a miraculous, we can't create miracles, but we can put ourselves in the condition, in the circumstances for miracles to flow into our life. And what I mean by that is for our lives to be in flow, where we're meeting the right people that we want to meet, where things are just absolutely working, where, where things are falling into place. To me, that's how I want the planet to live. Seven billion people to live in this state of, of the miracle zone. And I believe that's possible. And so when you say, how would, would I go about, you know, helping create this world like this? It's one person at a time. Each person who's listening here right now, there's not, it's not an accident that you're here right now. There's a reason, something that called your soul to listen to this conversation. And it's because 
you're attuned, you're ready to, you want more of living in this way. And so each of us has our role to, to creating this miraculous kind of a world. And so Duncan, your role is to listen to what it is your soul is calling you to do, to live, to create more of a world that's this way. Somebody else listening, your soul might be calling you to, to start a restaurant because that's what's going to create more joy, more happiness on the planet. That's your miracle zone. So if each one of us right now were to just ask, what am I here to do to create more of a miraculous world around me? That's how we create this world of 7 billion people living a life of happiness. I, I, Duncan, I think I've shared with you this quote, but it's really the quote that sums this up. It says, it's a Chinese proverb. It says, when there is light in the soul, there will be beauty in the person. When there is beauty in the person, there will be harmony in the house. When there is harmony in the house, there will be order in the nation. And when there is order in the nation, there will be peace in this world. And my, uh, my view of how we create a world of 7 billion people living in a situation of love and light and peace is through each one of us doing that ourselves in our lives. And you, Duncan, are certainly doing this by by all of the great, great messages that you are putting out in the world. And may you continue doing that in the ways that you are. And may each one of us who's listening right now create our own miraculous life. And may that be the the light for all the people around us. Marcy, how can people find out more about you and your work? Well, you can go to happyfornoreason.com and find out more about the happiness work there. You can go to youryearofmiracles.com and find out more about the miracles work there. Marcy Shymoff, thank you so much once again. It's been, uh, yeah, we, 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 we always chat for about 20 or 30 minutes before we even click record. So we had another great conversation the last couple of weeks. So I really appreciate you. Yeah, I really appreciate you just coming on and speaking with us today. It's been fantastic. Yeah, always great to be with you.